Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, May 3rd, 2021. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in our main segment, Jim tells us how characters from Disney's TV series have ended up in the parks, from Davy Crockett to The Mandalorian. Let's get started by bringing in the man who points out that we've had the technology to frost the entire Pop-Tart for quite a while, so it's time to start messing about. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Are you aware of the new mini Pop-Tart phenomena where they give you no. the, the box full of tiny Pop-Tarts, which are also frosted? What? It's just like the mini shredded wheats, but for Pop-Tarts? It's just nice to know that Wayne Zelensky has found work after <laughs> his tenure with the Walt Disney Company, but it's just sort of Miniaturizing like, Pop-Tarts? Yeah, you know, but it's just like, really, is this the best use of, of the shrinking machine? Yes. Just, yes, it is. So. Absolutely. Let me just tell you right now. Okay. I'm literally, we're done with this. I'm going to go to Publix and take a look. Okay. <laughs> it's the tiny cup of coffee that goes with it that's problematic. It's espresso. It's, it's fine. There we go. All right. <laughs> Solution found. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> All right, Jim. Let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Kristen Schmidt, KBB, Dwayne H., Chris K., and Sked Says, and longtime subscribers, Chiun, Andy P. over at AndySite.net. And Joseph Fickus. Jim, these are the Disney cast members assisting the U.S. Coast Guard in keeping pirates out of the Caribbean, which they train for by riding the famous ride in Adventureland. So if your wait to board Pirates of the Caribbean is delayed slightly by a group in front of you who brought their own Zodiac and who keeps saying, Dwayne, there's another one. It's just these folks in the Coast Guard keeping the shipping lanes open. True story. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. So I came up with this one. I was talking to Laurel. We were in the Magic Kingdom yesterday. And I was mm -hmm. uh, she was trying one of the new Dole Whip flavors at uh, Aloha Isle. I'm like, mm. baby, let's go on a let's go on a boat ride. I promise you, there will be no pirates on it whatsoever. It's through the Caribbean, but no pirates, none at all. And so that was my pitch to her. And how did that work out for you, Len? Not as well as you would think. No, no, not good. No. Okay. All right, folks, let's do the Disney Dish News. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you. By Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, the big news out of Disney today on Thursday when we're recording this is uh, Disney has announced features for the new cruise ship, the Disney Wish. So that press conference just ended now. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of uh, interesting things on it. It's essentially a dream or a dream class ship, right? So basically mm -hmm. same size. It looks like the same number of main dining room restaurants, um, but one of the bars, Skyline, which is my favorite bar in the Dream and the Fantasy, is mm -hmm. being replaced with a Star Wars hyperspace lounge. They mentioned that this bar is inspired by settings that we saw in Solo, a Star Wars story, where it's right. like, wow, really? That's the movie you're going to base a bar on? It's like, okay. But I genuinely enjoy Skyline with its multitude of views. And I'm wondering with our hyperspace lounge, if we're periodically going to change the planet, we're parked over to give us a different view. I think so. I think the, uh, the press release says that you'll be transported to iconic locations from the eras of the Republic, the Empire, and then the First Order. So we will definitely have changing scenes. Okay. Okay. What I think is interesting here about this particular idea is that Skyline it does not have any intellectual property in it. It's basically, mm -hmm. here are some interesting cities from around the world. You're mm -hmm. on a cruise ship, which is moving around the world. 
to here where it's one where we, uh, we've taken something that is essentially, it's themed, but there's no IP mm. in it, mm. and we've moved it to IP. Which brings us to the other news. Let's face it, we've had the aqueduct for at least two of the more recent Disney cruise ships. Anyone who listens to the show knows you're a huge fan of the Mickey Mouse shorts and the fact that they have now decided to replace the aqueduct with the aqua mouse, which evidently takes its inspiration from these shorts. That's got to be great news for you. It is. The funny thing is the still images that they used for this mm-hmm. look like something that somebody did in Photoshop in 20 minutes. It's yeah. it's basically it's the it's the aqua duck. But that's fine. So the uh, the interesting thing here says press release says it's a 2 minute long ride. It'll have mm-hmm. show scenes, lighting and special effects and then it's uh, 760 feet of tubes suspended high above the upper decks of the mm-hmm. Disney Wish. So we'll see how much theming they can put on there. It looks like they show either video screens or images inside the ride so that's interesting the way this is described this is no longer a slide this is the first disney attraction at sea so going to be interesting to see how many show scenes and and more to the point you know where the screens are because the phrase that comes to mind repeatedly is blur it's great fun but you're moving at kind of a clip so it's like well that was the thing when uh so bob and i did aquatica over in Orlando when you're, when it first opened, we did the review of it. And their big thing at the time was water slide that goes through like a dolphin enclosure and a shark enclosure, right? There we go. And the thing that Bob and I both said after getting off it, of it was there was so much water being sprayed in your face mm-hmm. going through those that it was impossible to keep your eyes open to see any of it. Mm-hmm. Like we couldn't pinpoint any point in the ride in which we were definitively next to dolphins or next to sharks. For all you know, the dolphins and the sharks are over the craft services table. You know, yeah. Gonna, gonna, <laughs> Ooh, sure, look, muffins. Sure, it's there. So that was uh, that. Was just, the other thing is they've mentioned a couple of things about restaurants. So there is a now a Frozen-themed restaurant. There is a 1923 restaurant that is apparently taking the place of Animator's Palette. Oh. And then, Laurel, what was the third restaurant? Frozen. Frozen? Mm-hmm. Oh, Marvel. Uh, so the Animator's Palette is uh, being replaced by Marvel. Which is interesting. Okay. Suddenly, I have this image of the Hulk looming over my table. Of, Hulk, <laughs> mash potatoes! <laughs> you know? That's right. Hulk, smash potatoes! <laughs> oh, God. If that's not the title of the thing on the, on the menu, Jim, they will have missed an opportunity. This oh, okay. is true. So there's a couple of other interesting things. Um, it features Disney's first two-story suites on the ship. So that's... Hmm. If you look at most of what's happening here, it's really just an evolution of the Dream and Fantasy class ships. Okay. The two-story suites, I think, sort of bring them up to what others in the industry were doing. I can't imagine what that's going to cost, Jim. Uh, wow. Yeah. You got to pay for Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind somehow, Len. It's true. It's true. The other thing is, so it looks like the the Dream is moving mm-hmm. to Miami. So the Wish is going to take on the Dream's old itinerary of three and four night cruises to the Bahamas and Castaway Key from Port Canaveral. So bookings open to the general public on May 27th. If you're a Castaway Club member, you get a couple days before that. Uh, first ship sailing is June 9th, 2022. So barely a year from now. Wow. Okay. I can't uh, wait to see what these prices are. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the lobby is uh, the lobby's inspired by Cinderella. It looks very open. It's got a uh, free-floating staircase, which looks really good. I'm going to love to see this in, uh, in person. 
two. Yeah. So um, the kids' areas, I think, are moving down to deck two or deck three. It's got some got some interesting stuff. We'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. Just let us know what you hear for prices, okay? And I think the uh, the yeah, I think the Cove Cafe, so the sort of the adult area, the coffee bar, gets moved out a little bit too. Hmm. We'll, let's tell you what, we'll we'll go through the press releases in detail, and we'll have uh, anything else interesting that pops up. We'll uh, we'll talk about okay. that on the next show too. Will do. All right, on to other news. Um, so the big news this week, as far as Walt Disney World goes, was that Orange County, Florida, has updated its mask mandate guidelines. So effective immediately, Orange County has reduced the physical distancing requirements from six feet to three feet in all settings, both indoors and outdoors. And employees still working in indoor locations still need to wear masks. So this is important because almost all of Walt Disney World is inside of Orange County. I think all of it is now actually inside Mm -hmm. uh, Orange County. So Disney hasn't yet said anything about when they're going to or when or if they're going to reduce distancing requirements from six feet to three feet. Three feet is basically back to what it was, right? Because that's mm-hmm. basically the amount of distance you would give people in normal circumstances. So by reducing the physical distancing requirement, you've essentially in- doubled the park capacity. The other thing that um, Orange County said was as soon as 50% of the age 16 and up population has been vaccinated, the facial covering mandate will be lifted for all individuals outdoors. So Orange County is currently at 38% as of April 26th. So this should be at 50% by the end of May. So by summer, Orange County will not have an outdoor mask mandate. The interesting thing there is, you know, Disney's still private property uh, and they can have whatever mask mandate they want. So I think Disney's lawyers are looking at this and saying, what can we do versus what, uh, what is it worth fighting over? And this is tail end of May, the estimate for 50% of the population. Yeah, end of May-ish, yeah, yeah. Given the current news cycle, a lot can happen over those next five weeks or so. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the CDC has, uh, has updated its stuff for outdoors, and it was a little more conservative than what Orange County is saying. The other thing Orange County said was when 70% of the population, 16 and over, has received their first dose of the vaccine, or... Orange County's 14-day rolling positivity rate is 5% or below. All mandates will be lifted. So the current 14-day rolling positivity rate is 7%, but it's been below 5% as late as mid-March 2021. So within the last month and a half, the positivity rate has been below 5%. Now, interestingly, what I didn't read in Orange County's announcement was whether any of these things will come back into effect if the positivity rate goes back up. Mm-hmm. So do the mandates go automatically go back in place once the positivity rate it's about 5% because if it fluctuates between 4, 9, and 5, 1 every day for two weeks, no one's going to know what to do. Yeah. And when you factor in the variants and how yeah. different parts of the world are dealing with different variants, I, oof, we're just going to have to be patient and stay on top of this. Yeah. Just remember, Disney's private property, they can do what they want. And I think their lawyers are going to have more to say about this. Not only that, but you know, they, Disney has you know tens of thousands of workers that they have to protect as well. So, and they're going to be thinking about that differently than Orange County is, right? So Orange mm-hmm. County is not going to get sued over a mask mandate. Disney could get sued for stuff like that. So it's a different calculus. Mm-hmm. Um, other news, the TTA reopened earlier this week. It's still having operational issues. What it looks like uh, when I was there yesterday, posted wait times were around 20 minutes. And those that 20-minute posted wait time stretched all the way from the TTA around to where Astro Orbiter loads. So that's a mm-hmm. pretty long line for 20 minutes. I don't know that, uh, well, again, this is at six feet of, uh, of distancing, but it's still pretty long. It is. It is. 
Though what's interesting is from folks who've actually gotten on the ride, they described how there were other operational issues, but it also looks like the various show scenes of that sort of thing have gotten some TLC. They've been cleaned up, repainted, that sort of thing. So it is definitely worth checking out, but it's still the people mover, Yeah, which kind of ironic given the number of times it's broken down to a lot of places. <laughs> the sometimes you know, people mover? There we go. The sometimes people mover. Fair so. enough. Also, uh, so we're recording this on Thursday. Disneyland opens tomorrow. We'll have a full report about that on next week's show as well. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, time for some listener questions. This is one from Laura, who visited Animal Kingdom on Earth Day, April 22nd, and promptly got this survey from Disney. And the first question, the first interesting question is this. Please indicate your level of agreement or disagreement with each of the following statements. So it's uh, the usual five-point scale. Strongly agree, somewhat agree undecided, somewhat disagree or strongly disagree. The first one is, the Earth Day celebration at Animal Kingdom is one of the things that makes Animal Kingdom unique. The next one is, my visit to Animal Kingdom helps support the protection of wildlife and nature around the world. The third is, the Earth Day celebration seems like a good fit for Animal Kingdom. The fourth is, I expect to see Disney characters featured as a large part of an Earth Day event. That's interesting. The next one is, I'd like to see National Geographic included as part of an event at Disney's Animal Kingdom. The Earth Day celebration in Animal Kingdom improves my opinion of the Walt Disney World Resort. The event broadened my understanding about Earth Day and conservation efforts. Interesting set of questions. Let me put it in context with the next question that says, mm-hmm. what if Disney's Animal Kingdom were to increase the number of activities with a future Earth Day celebration? Would you say you would definitely return? Probably return? May or may not return? Probably would not return? Or definitely would not return? So clearly here, Jim, they're trying to figure out how to make another, I mean, no holiday goes, goes unnoticed by Disney, right? Even, mm-hmm. even Earth Day. Yep. Yep. And if you remember when this park opened up, Earth Day 1998, mm-hmm. and the fact that environmental concerns continued there, my understanding from talking with folks at this park, what they're exploring here is the notion of, you know, the problem is when you only have a single day celebration, mm-hmm. it's hard for a Disney theme park to really capitalize on that. Yeah. I mean, Hall- Halloween starts in August, right? So that's, that's how they've go. gotten around that. Yeah. So the idea there's kind of kicking the can here is the notion of what if for the month of April, the first three weeks of April, April 1st through the 21st, was effectively the lead up to Earth Day, that everybody who entered the park would be given a button, brochure, that sort of thing. And the idea is that over time, you could turn Earth Day into really something significant at this park. But you you had to have a series of activities, you had to have a series of special shows or that sort of thing for the three weeks leading up to Earth Day. It could be like a mini festival, like at Epcot. There we go. All right. So because of the amount of backstage you need for cages and animal barns and that sort of thing, yeah, it's the least friendly park when you're looking to do this sort of pop-up thing. Oh, yeah. And in fact, supposedly, as I understand it, the survey is like, look, this is the travel loan. If we get enough of a positive reaction to this, that people associate Earth Day with Animal Kingdom, in the years going forward, we can start to get an Earth Day celebration festival up and running that will culminate right. with you know a full day of amazing activities 
on April 22nd that if you're an animal fan or that sort of thing, you need to be here for. But many of the things just described in the survey to the effect of, I expect to see Disney characters features as a yep. large part of an Earth Day event. It's like, get me every animal costume we have. All right. You know, right. I want them in that park. The National Geographic question was interesting too. They own it, right? They do. They do. It was, you know, one of the things that they got as part of the $71.3 billion Fox acquisition. And they are making good use of it. I, you know, in fact, I'm, I'm trying to carve out time this coming weekend for that amazing four-part whale thing that they, they just put up on Disney+. Plus. But yeah, this is something they want to see going forward. But we are still sort of tentatively in the middle of what's left of of the amazing Disney World 50th anniversary celebration. So I wouldn't anticipate that, that Disney actually gets serious about this idea till the other side of 2022. Yeah, I would think so too, yeah. Yeah. Interesting question though. All right, here's a question mm -hmm. from Aaron who said, on our most recent trip, several photos of people not in my family ended up in my Memory Maker account. Not in the same photo with me, but completely separate photos of other families and ride vehicles my family wasn't in. I'm sure they're great people and they look like they'd be fun to hang out with, but sadly, we'll, we never met. I'm curious how many other people may have photos of me or my family in their accounts. Apologies to them because I was not having great hair days down there. All right. So, Jim, this is where Disney is using your magic bands to try and figure out automatically which photos belong to which MDE accounts and then place them in your MDE account with a notification that says, Hey, these photos are available and, you know, for a small price, you can download them or print them or whatever, right? I would love to know from Aaron which specific attractions or shows this other family showed up because I'd love to put that info out there to see if if we put the shows, if anybody else had different families show up. You know, yeah, that so, so, and that's why I mentioned this. So, so for all of our listeners, if you've been to Walt Disney mm -hmm. World recently and you ended up with other families in your uh, PhotoPass feed, let us know what attractions you mm -hmm. are on uh, to do this. So, um, so yesterday when I was running around the Magic Kingdom, we wanted a bunch of rides, and mm -hmm. we uh, we ended up with photos from Space Mountain, I think Big Thunder, but I'm not sure. And one other attraction. And Disney notified me automatically of two of the three of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's see. So if, uh, if anyone else is like Aaron and had other families show up in uh, your uh, PhotoPass feed, let us know mm -hmm. what rides they were on. Okay. All right. Here's one from uh, Ashlyn. Uh, last summer, my now wife and I got married in a simple courthouse deal to the pandemic and all. Congratulations. Uh, but now we're fully vaccinated and things are starting to look up and we're hoping to bring some friends and family out to Alani for a formal ceremony sometime in fall 22, 2022. All right. So at this point, Jim, I was super excited about being invited to a wedding in Hawaii. Like, <laughs> like let me start looking for flights, right? Okay. Sa sadly, the email uh, ends this. We've just done the first contact email with Disney's fairytale weddings. And we're wondering if y'all have any, any tips or advice for navigating the whole planning process with fairytale weddings. And if y'all have any Stacey-esque must-dos that we have to add to the wedding plan or more unofficial must-dos that we have to do once we get to Alani. All right. So uh, I've never gone through Disney's fairy tale weddings. My brother did. I can ask him about that uh, next time we talk. Here's what I would say, though, about Alani. So I've been a couple of times. It's my favorite resort. Uh, I think it's everything that Disney does well. It does well in Alani. Um, so there's a couple of things. One, the food everywhere is amazing. So eat everywhere. Two, I think the spa is super incredible. You should definitely plan a full day 
just the two of you at the spa and just sort of relax. I think all of the amenities are good, like the snorkeling, the paddle boarding. It's all fantastic. The other thing I would say, though, in terms of the area, there's a grocery store called Foodland. It's sort of a, a Hawaiian grocery store chain. There's one maybe like 15 mm-hmm. minutes from Alani. You can Uber over there. It's next to a Target if you need to get other mm-hmm. stuff. They have amazing produce. Like you can get a pineapple for a dollar. Mm-hmm. Plus they have a poke bar and a, a mochi bar. Also, you can get reusable shopping bags that are specific to the Hawaiian stores that have you know Hawaiian sayings on it and stuff. Uh, and those are super fun to use when you get home. So Laurel and I have done that many times. So I would they, uh, say definitely go out to Foodland once you uh, get to Alani. Pick up some, you know, Pop-Tarts and stuff like that. Mini Pop-Tarts. Remember, the Mini Pop-Tarts. Mini Pop-Tarts, right. Exactly. From the show. Mini Pop-Tarts, yes. Yeah, but definitely go out to Foodland. You know, the last time I went to Alani, mm-hmm. we were there for seven days. I literally spent all seven days other than going to Foodland and maybe sort of walking around the immediate area. I didn't leave the resort and I was perfectly happy with it. Um, like, don't feel the need to go, like, drive to the North Shore or go see, you know, Pearl Harbor or whatever. I mean, just if you're, if you're going there to relax, go there to relax. That works. All right. uh, Last uh, email is from Daniel, who says, I'm just returning from a three-day trip where we celebrated my grandmother's 92nd birthday, Mazel Tov. It was a great trip, and we went to Magic Kingdom and Hollywood Studios. Among the many things we did was ride the Hollywood Tower of Terror. I am blessed in that my grandmother is still in decent health, and she wanted to ride it to please my nephews who were celebrating with us. Needless to say, I was worried, but when we got off the ride, she turned around and said, Was that it? That was nothing. It was a great experience and a memory that we will hold on to for a long time. The reason why I'm reaching out is because I started wondering who would be the oldest person that has ever ridden the Tower of Terror? Could my 92-year-old grandmother now be in some top ranking because of that? Does she get bragging rights? All right. So, Jim, I don't think we want to start a contest of old people riding Tower of Terror here. No. The no, lawyers no, would probably say no. However, I, I got to say, 92 is pretty up there in terms of riding Tower of Terror. It is. It is. We, we've got to have... Some listeners or cast members who work at Tower, and there's got to be some sort of record they keep of special passengers, so to speak. I mean, 92, 92 is by far the oldest I've heard. So, yeah, I mean, as far as I'm I, concerned, yeah, Daniel, your, your grandmother's in that, in that top tier right now. Okay, okay. Not that we're encouraging old people to ride Tower of Terror. You shouldn't, you shouldn't no. do it if you don't feel safe. No. But, uh, okay, so listeners, if you know of anyone older, as old as 92 or older, let us know. Also, uh, Daniel, uh, tell your grandmother when she wants to ride, when she hits 100, I will mm-hmm. definitely go with her on that ride. So let's book okay. that now for eight years from now. I'll be over in the, the food court waiting <laughs> for you guys. <laughs> she's going to hear me screaming. She's going to go, what? What are you screaming about? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All right. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Jim tells us how the characters from Disney's TV series have ended up in the parks from Zorro to the Mandalorian. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we've heard talk about Disney bringing more characters from the TV series into the park. Not only the Mandalorian, but Mm -hmm. we've heard talk about Wanda and Vision. We've heard talk about 
the Captain America character coming yep. in, right? But this isn't the first time Disney's had to deal with popular TV characters coming into the parks as quickly as possible to capitalize on that, right? Yeah, but 67 years ago this month, the Walt Disney Company signs a contract with the American Broadcasting Company, ABC. It's an important moment in Disney history because the $5 million that ABC makes available to Walt is Mm -hmm. $500,000 in cash and then access to a guaranteed $4.5 million loan. That's actually the money that Walt uses to finally get the Disneyland park project moving forward. But there were terms to this deal that Walt had to deliver a weekly anthology series, a Monday through Friday show that was aimed at kids 5 to 12, and that, of course, wound up being the Mickey Mouse Club. And there was a third series, but we'll get to that in a moment. Okay. But in addition to the seed money for Disneyland, ABC gives Walt money for the actual production of the Disneyland television series. In fact, in year one, Walt was given $50,000 per show. And the first season, they asked for 21 episodes. So provided the show got renewed, in year two, they were going to get $60,000 per show. Year three, they were going to get uh, $70,000. That's a, that's a pretty healthy ra- uh, rate of inflation raise. Yeah. And, and, and what's interesting, though, is remember, this is the early days of television. So the idea of a repeat Remember, there's that great joke out of Back to the Future where the, the family sitting around the television watching Jack, Jackie Leeson. And, and I, I saw the rerun of this. And the, one of the kids at the table, what's a rerun? What's a rerun? Yeah. But they were far enough along in the history of television at this point that Walt would actually get a fee if they reran a particular episode. There was a uh, first year that we would get $25,000 if they reran the episode. Year two, 30000 And then in year three, uh, thirty-five. By the way, there was language in this deal that this three-year deal could automatically be extended to a seven-year deal if ABC was happy. In a time when television is mostly being shot on sound stages, mm-hmm. is mostly being shot in black and white, $50,000, that'll cover your standard television show. But this is the thing. Walt didn't want to make a standard television show. Right. He wanted his stuff to stand out, so he shot on film. He also believed that given the advances that were being made in television, that they would eventually broadcast in color. And he wanted his stuff when it was being rerun to work in the color format. And for lack of a better term, it colors Disney's relationship with ABC because they were initially resistant to this. It's like, no, why, why, you know, if people know it's in color and they're watching it in black and white, they're not going to be happy. So Walt is fighting with ABC and ABC especially is concerned about this trio of shows that Walt is making for season one of the Disneyland show. He's actually taking almost half of his entire production budget and spending it on just these three shows. They're being shot on location. They're being shot in color. The folks at ABC, it's like, I'm not happy with this. And they're unhappy right up until the morning after Davy Crockett, Indian Fighter, airs on ABC on (sighs) December 15th, 1954. Picture being the parent on December 16th, 1954. Christmas is just a week away, and suddenly your child is, I want a coonskin cap. I want a flintlock rifle. You want a what? (laughs) No. (laughs) The first episode of this trio of shows, Davy Crockett, Indian Fighter, obviously the title would not fly today. No. For years at Disneyland, there was an attraction called the Indian War Canoes. uh, Actually opened at the park July 56. You boarded it in an area approximately where Critter Country is today. 
That attraction, uh, Frontierland attraction, kept the Indian War Canoe's name for 15 years. And then on May 18th, 1971, the attraction closes, and the very next morning, it reopens with a brand new name, the Davy Crockett Explorer Canoes. Same exact canoes, just a different name. So ABC executives, they're thrilled with what happened with Davy Crockett and Indian Fighter. But at the same time, there's like, maybe that's a fluke. But January 26, 1955, the second episode of this trio of shows, Davy Crockett goes to Congress, uh-huh. airs on ABC. 30 million people tune in to catch this episode line. That's a lot. That's a lot of people for the, for the time. Today, if you get 4 million people to watch your show, you are a smash hit series. You, were, you, know, they, you get a full year renewal. Like, oh my God, 4 million people tuned in. But this is at the point that the full-fledged Davy Crockett fad catches fire. Every kid in North America now wants a coonskin cap. So we jump ahead now, February 23rd, 1955, the third and what was originally supposed to be the final episode of the Davy Crockett trilogy. Davy Crockett the Alamo airs on ABC. This time around, over 40 million people tune in. Wow. ABC executives are thrilled. This is at the point that they actually renew the Disneyland TV show for the next seven years. <laughs> so the funny thing is, is if you look at the merch mm-hmm. that was sold, you mentioned it coming at Christmas, so which was probably fantastic timing for Disney. In 1954 dollars, they sold $300 million worth of Davy Croc oh, merch yeah. in one yeah. year. That's $3 billion in today's money. But here's the thing. Disney wasn't ready. When the first show drops in December of 54, Disney doesn't have a single licensed item. And same thing. You know, the toy manufacturers are like, well, that's cool. Yeah, kids are asking for coons against caps and all that sort of thing. By the way, decimated the raccoon population in 55. (laughs) But they didn't have anything set up. And so of that $3 billion you just mentioned – Disney only got a tenth of that because everything that was sold in early 55 were knockoffs. There's an actual memo, January 15th, 1955. Admiral Joe Fowler, who's the park construction administrator for Disneyland, is basically telling the team out in Anaheim, it's like, look, we just don't have the time. We don't have the money. We can't do the world of tomorrow, which is why we're making the decision now to push that off to phase two of Disneyland. They weren't going to open Tomorrowland. That's it. They weren't going to open Tomorrowland. Okay. Just 11 days later, the second of the trio of Davy Crockett episodes, Davy Crockett goes to Congress, airs on ABC. And again, 30 million people. Okay. So just for context, that's more than half of the people who own televisions. That's what I'm talking about. All right. So over the next five days, because now it's like, okay, so the first one in December did great ratings. Holy crud. The second one does better. Next five days, toy manufacturers from around the country besiege Walt Disney Productions. They are literally throwing contracts over the wall. Look, we want to make official Davy Crockett merch. And so Walt happily signs a a number of these deals. And so January 31st, 1955, Admiral Joe Fowler sends out an memo. Disregard what I said. We're building tomorrow. (laughs) Because now there was Davy Crockett money pouring in. And also, Disney goes to further capitalize on this. They take the three episodes of the Davy Crockett TV series, they stitch them together, and in three months' time, it's in theaters. There's a a full-length version of the Davy Crockett TV show that's been stitched together. It's called Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. And the money that this movie made is so crucial to Disneyland's completion. It was the money that helped in the last three months to get the streets paved, to get the plumbing in place, all of that stuff. 
And during the same period, even though, remember, at the, the end of Davy Clark and the Alamo, Davy dies. But because ABC said, by the way, we're going to renew you for seven years. And for season two of the show, could we have some more Davy Crockett? And Walt's like, absolutely. <laughs> prequel. They do. They write two prequel episodes. Yeah. In fact, what I love about the filming of the prequels, Tess Parker and Buddy Epson, they're in Illinois at Cave and Cave shooting scenes for Davy Crockett's keelboat race and a, a second show called Davy Crockett versus the River Pirates. This is July 14th. July 17th, yeah. here's Buddy Epson and Fess yeah, Parker. opening, yeah, yeah. Well, they're on live television doing a song and dance number. You know, the, the <laughs> bang goes Betsy. And it's like, and remember, this is flying, you know, traveling across the country in 55. That that had to be like two and three stops on planes yeah. for them to get. They basically, uh, basically had no rest. Yeah. Park opens July 17th. By July 18th, already at guest relations, they're getting to the effect of, well, where's the Davy Crockett stuff? Yeah. And they actually take a storefront in Frontierland and turn it into the Davy Crockett Frontier Museum. They had a miniature model of the Alamo. They had Fess Parkett's rifle and knife that he used in the show. And there was even a photo spot there. They got wax statues made of of Buddy Epson and Fess Parker in their Georgie Russell and Davy Crockett outfits. And you look at the photos of kids who were taken during the six-month period where Davy Crockett was this white-hot phenomenon. And the grins on their faces splitting wide open. It's like, I'm between Davy Crockett and Georgie Russell. And oh, my God. You know, uh, November of that year, we get our two other episodes of the Davy Crockett that had been shot. Uh, we get, again, the keelboats. And then uh, the River Pirate episode drops just uh, 10 days before Christmas. And Walt now being the synergistic monster that he is, uh -huh. the two keelboats that were used in the making of these TV episodes have been hauled all the way across country. Holy and cow. on Christmas Day, you can go to Disneyland and now the keelboat ride is open. You can ride the really for real keelboats that were used in making the movie, the Gully Wumper and the Bertha May. How long did those um, how long did those actual keelboats stay in the park? I know they were in operation for two years. The river oh, okay. then went down for, for rehab. And when it came back up, mm -hmm. there were replacements on the river. Because, again, these had been made for props to use in the movie. Not necessarily for everyday use by guests. There we go. Okay. And right. Walt looking to cash in on yet again. Uh, they take these two episodes that, that aired on ABC and stitch them together into a feature film. Davy Crockett and the River Pirates that ends up out in theaters in July of 56. It does okay business. Certainly not the enormous business that Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier, did in May of 55. Okay. But Davy Crockett phenomena has begun to fade at this point. Sure. And if you talk with folks at the studio, they realize in hindsight, we should have done what we did with King of the Wild Frontier. We should have put it out in theaters three months after the TV episodes aired, not seven months. Right. By the summer of 56, the David Clark phenomenon is, is basically blown itself out. But people going to Disneyland want to see Davy Crockett. So they take the Davy Crockett Museum and change it into the Davy Crockett Arcade. It takes up five full storefronts in Frontierland. Wow. Land. That's a lot of space. 
It is, but if you went there, you could see the sets from Davy's Battle at the Alamo. You could see uh, powder horns, slint locks, Bowie knives, which coincidentally would be just above a display selling rubber Bowie knives and flint locks and powder horns. And all of this now is the authentic licensed Disney merch, not the uh, knockoffs. Okay. And there was a silk screen that was sold during this period that showed that not only was Davy Crockett king of the wild frontier, but he was also marshal of Frontierland. So this is a trivia question. Has, has Frontierland had any other marshals? I do not know. I will look into that. But also during this period... Frontierland had a Davy Crockett walk-around character. And Ron Dominguez, the gentleman whose family actually had a farm at the Disneyland construction site. They had 10 acres of uh, that they, they grew oranges on. Okay. And eventually the family sold the ranch to Disney and through unique circumstances, Ron ended up working. The administrative offices was the Dominguez family home, which was a little strange. <laughs> Come into my office. I mean, my bedroom. I mean, my office. There we we go. But Ron eventually ended up as the executive vice president of Walt Disney Attractions Worldwide. It's a great story. But somebody noticed at one point in like 55, 56 that Ron had a a striking resemblance to Fess Parker. So suddenly (laughs) these deerskin pants and shirt and a coonskin cap showed up and could you try this on? And he spent much of 1956 hanging out by the keel boats where guests would see him and shriek and get their pictures taken with him. But he said summer in Southern California wearing buckskin is not a happy time. It's now the the third season of the Disneyland TV show. It uh, starts in September of 56, ends late spring of 57. And ABC wants more Davy Crockett. And Walt goes, well, look, the movie that was just out in theaters did about a third of the the business. The ratings for the the River Pirates and the Keelboat one were about half of what the other shows. And Walt proceeds to tell them the story of you can't top pigs with pigs. Let me tell you what happened when we tried to do sequels to... The Three Little Pigs. And ABC doesn't want to hear this. And oh. they remind Walt, you signed a contract for three series. The, you know, the Disneyland Anthology series, the Mickey Mouse Club. You still owe us a third TV series. So how would you feel about turning Davy Crockett into a weekly TV series? But they, but they see the numbers, right? ABC at this point is... Only got a couple of hit shows, and to be honest, two of them are the Disney you know, anthology series and the Mickey Mouse Club. They are still running third behind NBC and CBS. So it's like, yeah, I get the ratings are down, but a Davy Crockett series would still do decent numbers. Uh-huh. And what Walt isn't telling them is at this point, Fess Parker has done a number of films in addition to the Davy Crockett for Disney. He's done The Great Locomotive Chase, which came out in June of 56. He's uh-huh. done Westward Ho the Wagons, December of 56, the Old Yeller, December of 57, and then Light in the Forest. And Parker has grown bored at this point of playing the same sort of role. He's typecast, yeah, okay. Yeah, the the noble frontiersman over and over again. And when Walt comes at him with yet another one of these parts uh, for a film called Tonka, Fess actually refuses the role. Oh, this is in the the old studio... Studio days where they they own basically own the actors though. That's it exactly, and he gets like I'm not playing that part, and he's actually put on suspension at Disney Studios, and and months later they decide that we're both not happy, and let's agree to disagree, and they they release Parker from his contract. But again, it's summer '56, and Walt's trying to make the executives at ABC happy, so it's like I'll tell you what, I don't think the Davy Crockett. 
TV series idea is going to work. But I got another character that I'd really like you to consider uh, for that, that third series I agreed to make for you guys. Someone I think you'll love just as much as Davy Crockett, which brings us to Zorro, which you and I will discuss in depth uh, in the next episode of Disney Edition, how he came into the park, but in a very different way. Zorro. Zorro. So this is, is this how we ended up with the uh, Rancho del Zocalo in, uh, in Frontierland? Because if that's so, then I am super excited about this story. It does factor in. It does. It does. So, <laughs> All right. I'm looking forward to it, Jim. Cool, cool. All right, folks. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including our complete, what is it, Jim? 14, 15, 16, 17-part series on I, I, <laughs> whatever. I, I, More than 12, I, less than 24. There you go. It's our series on uh, ideas Disney had for Epcot way back in the 1970s that they ran by Hollywood producer Joseph Mankiewicz. On next week's show, Jim will continue the history of Disney TV characters in the park, starting with Zorro. Produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, we'll be serving Grandpa Adams' Moonshine and Oysters Rockefeller recipe at the 2021 Newport Oyster and Chowder Festival, May 21st through the 23rd, at Bowen's Wharf in beautiful downtown Newport, Rhode Island. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.